the Many Things Podcast. Hi, welcome to the uh, Many Things Podcast, joined by our long-term guest, Andrew. You right, mate? Hello. So for this episode, we're going to start by talking about organ trafficking, uh, people that have their organs trafficked. So there's a story that just broke the news today, actually, in uh, 23rd of March. It's about a senior Nigerian politician. He used to be a deputy uh, president of the Nigerian Senate. So he's got a very high up position in uh, Nigerian uh, politics. It is called Ike Ekwamadu. Now, he was found guilty in a UK court because what he wanted to do, or what he did do, actually, he flew a 21-year-old Nigerian street trader, so quite a lower-class person, um, to the UK and offered a doctor £80,000 to uh, remove this man's kidney and to give this uh, kidney to his daughter, who had to drop out of her university because she was studying in the UK and she had kidney failure. Now, they did this by uh, pretending that the man was her uh, cousin and a willing donor, whereas in reality, they were offering him £8,000, which doesn't seem like enough to sell an organ in the UK, but in Nigeria, £8,000 is worth an awful lot of money. Now, that story is, is shocking to me, I think, because I thought organ, you know, people's trafficking in organ smuggling is the sort of thing you see in third world countries. But apparently it's sort of prevalent all over the world. Um, yeah, which I just thought was a pretty cool story, really. Well, not cool, but you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, and unheard of. Although I think like these things rarely break the news, but they happen they happen quite often, or more often than we think, but not not with like people of this level. I'd say it's more like organised crime that gangs that do this kind of thing. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. Uh, he's a prominent ni- former politician in Nigeria, you know, deputy president of the Senate. If the Senate's anything like the political structure in the US or something, that's a seriously high role, you know. So you've got the elites, people smuggling, uh, trafficking people to sell organs, you know, to fair enough, it's for his daughter, but still, um, yeah, so the organ market is worth $1.5 billion a year, and they estimate some 12,000 illegal transplants happen every year, but they think that this is far underestimated. Uh, a little bit more uh, context, so the most likely people to become victim of trafficking are refugees, uh, particularly uh, Syrian refugees of late, and uh, they actually quite often uh, offer up their own organs, but you know they just get in these desperate positions. They want to uh, they want us to try support their families. So, for example, uh, one case was a, a Pakistani who uh, previously lived in Syria as a refugee, and then when the Syrian war broke out, they moved to Lebanon. And under the uh, United Nations rules, if you're in the second country, you can't register as a refugee. So they had no means of accessing any sort of sort of aid, like shelter or food uh, from UN donations. So they decided to sell their kidney uh, to try and provide for their family and got in contact with one of these organ brokers. And then again, uh, $8,000 this time, but $8,000 was the, uh, the price they sold their organ for. So it's it's pretty dark stuff, and especially how you know some of the most vulnerable people in society, sort of migrants, refugees, are the ones getting exploited. I mean, we thought stockbrokers were bad, but you now get organ brokers. Mm. 
you know. I, <laughs> I would have thought that this politician could have found someone like in their circle of influence that would be willing to donate an organ. But I think maybe they probably did it because they thought they'd probably get away with it and maybe they'd gotten away with other things in the past. So they just yeah. took the chance. Sure, because yeah, usually uh, like there's there's usually a pretty big waiting list uh, in like the UK or the states for these uh, organ donations. But it's whether family members would be willing to uh, you know sacrifice one of their own kidneys. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I mean, he had eighty. He had companies over in Nigeria. He had eighty employees as well. But I mean, at first, I mean, it is horrendous. Especially the way he's preyed on someone that's just like a sort of a uh, street trader, really not a very wealthy person from Nigeria at all. But I mean, it does it didn't really detail the article how much that street trader was willing to do it and how much it was just like he was uh, coerced and forced into it because he is getting eight thousand pounds, and you know you, you can live with only one kidney. So I think I think it's quite nuanced when it comes to the morals and the dilemmas of like you know the moral dilemma of the situation. What do you think? Yeah, maybe they didn't. They weren't told like the full um, story of what was going on, because in the article it said um, uh, it said that the victim had little understanding of what was really going on. So maybe. Well, that's what the article says. I don't know how accurate it is, but maybe they didn't, maybe they fed them a different story of why they were being like sent to England. Yeah. It's like, I've been to reward... appointment. Huh? Well, why is he, why is he going to? Were... And they were going to reward, like it said, they were going to reward the donor with something, but it was something illegal. I thought, so... I thought they were going to reward the donor with the £8,000. No. That I think that too, but maybe they had other things that they had. Uh, maybe like a promised job. Them. Promised them like yeah. a job in the UK or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I well, don't know. Yeah, it says just they were offered an illegal reward, which mm -hmm. was yeah the eight thousand pounds. But I don't know what else they were told. Well, it's interesting because they said that the uh, the, the victim, this twenty-one-year-old, he had a uh, fake documents that were uh, trying to show that he was their cousin. So you've got to think, uh, these surgeons, uh, they, they must sometimes unwillingly uh, be harvesting organs for these for, for certain people in the UK under, you know, because they've been given fake uh, documentation and fake identification for these people. This can't be the first case. That, that, that This is just the first time it's been sort of caught in recent times and we've all been made aware of it, you know? Yeah. I think this is a uh, this kind of thing has gone on for a long time. It's kind of like how people used to get backstreet abortions because you'd have to like when you can't do something like legally, you just turn to criminals. Mm -hmm. But this is an extreme. I say like this is an extreme, more extreme than that. Yeah, I think it is more extreme than that as well, to be honest. But I also read about, so basically years ago, so I was back in college, so maybe like six, seven, seven years ago, my my friend John, he was telling me about the uh, Chinese and how the, the Chinese government are harvesting organs of the Chinese prisoners. 
And like, I just didn't believe him at the time. I couldn't find mm. any sources on the news and stuff. So recently, though, this has come to light as well. So there was a study by the Australian National University, whereby they examined thousands of medical papers from China and unveiled the nation's Cladstein organ harvesting trade. So there was the, the lead researcher, uh, Matthew Robinson, uh, Robertson, was a PhD researcher and co-author of the report. He said that in these cases, the removal of the heart during organ procurement must have been the proximate cause of the donor's death. Because these organs could only have been by prisoners, our findings would strongly suggest that the physicians in the People's Republic of China have participated in executions by organs removal. Now, they think that these surgeries were carried out on uh, prisoners and death row, so they were awaiting death, as well as prisoners of conscience, 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 people who are incarcerated for who they are and what they believe in. Oh, so maybe like political dissidents or something, right? Mm. But but here's the really interesting thing. Uh, China have come out denying this, but these rumors have been going on for the last 30 years. Although, so the Chinese government is saying they don't do this, yet waiting times for organ transplants in countries such as the UK and US are measured in years and months, whereas waiting times for, for organs in China are, are measured in weeks. So they have seriously short waiting times compared to us. Yeah, and also I think like when, kind of like what you were saying about the migrants, how they use migrants, like if because these people can be like undocumented or they can just go missing and not heard of like they're easier to exploit whereas if you if you try to do that here like with citizens it would be a lot harder and also if there's less regulation like in a lot of places against these things whereas yeah. here it's it's like it's harder to do this kind of crime no, for sure. The, the the fact that the um the the refugees or they may not have the right paperwork, so yeah, they're, they're kind of ghosts. They're not really on the system officially. Yeah, if they're undocumented, then you can you can't really prove that they've been um their organs basically that you've killed them. Like no one can prove it. Yeah, and that they're much less likely to go to the authorities as well because they think, well, I'm illegal here. I can. Well, get yeah, that's the other thing. You know, yeah. depending on which country you're in, the way the uh, the authorities treat the people, uh, migrants. Um, but, mm. but but back to the, uh, the the Chinese thing, it's like this Australian uh, medical report seems to they seem to believe that some of the uh, doctors, uh, some of the surgeons in these Chinese prisons are actually killing certain prisoners by removing like the hearts and the organs. So that was mm. the method of execution, which is seriously dark. Yeah, I and mean, I wouldn't be surprised, or if they were like experimenting on them. But I think, yeah, maybe they're just executing them, and just saying that, and just using their organs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the way they execute them. I mean, we don't, we don't really know what goes on because China isn't like an open nation so we only know like bits of information so anything yeah. could be happening there exactly the the data you know the data is what the, they choose to release which which may not be transparent at all like they're famous for um the, the number of their executions you know 
the the, the death penalty where they use it you know they're, they're famous for uh, sort of underreporting and not really giving the world very clear numbers on just how many people how many of these prisoners are on death row and how many are mm. uh, killed as well so, so so there's that element of it as well yeah it's it's pretty weird but what, what do you think the morals though if it's a scenario there's this prisoner this serial killer you know he's he's killed 15 people you know some children as well like one of the nastiest and these doctors want to harvest his organs mm, well <laughs> if they're on the death pen well if they're what's their sentence if they're on the death penalty then it yeah, they've been given a death penalty. Well, I don't know. You, well, there's no ethical way to kill someone, really. So, I don't know. There's no way. You can't... If you kill them, it's automatically unethical. For a sure. People, well, that's what a lot of people would argue. There's no ethical death sentence. So, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do or what would happen. Yeah, I think to harvest their organs is, is definitely wrong. It's cruel. It's inhumane. It makes you sort of know better than them. But what about the death penalty in general? Do you agree with it? I, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really solve the root of the crime. But it can give it can give people comfort knowing that that person no longer exists. Yeah, but I don't think I don't know if it really helps. Although it can help with overpopulation in prisons, but that's if you use the death penalty like really widely enough to like eradicate loads of prisoners. But I don't think it. Yeah. <laughs> Go on I mean, I don't, That's unlikely. I don't know if it really had. Also, though, if you kill the wrong person, because you sent a lot of people get sentenced wrongfully. So imagine then if you had the death penalty and you got killed wrongfully. Yeah, that's true. But like, what would you rather do? Would you rather be wrongfully incarcerated for 30 years or would you rather just die? I mean, I don't well, know. I think if you had hope, that you might get released. I think that's the thing. If you have hope, then you just want to stay. Mm -hmm. And you get you get some of those uh, like wrongful convictions and like justice charities and they oh. uh, research. I remember when I was doing criminology, they, they came and gave us a talk, so asking for volunteers. So what they do is they review uh, loads of different cases. And if they think these cases, certain cases, have, there's been a miscarriage of justice and they can re-examine the case, go over it, and if they think they have enough evidence, I can't remember what the legislation is called, but there's a there's an act that you can call upon and you can actually get a retrial and you can you, you can get them out of there. Uh, it's quite rare. Again, it is quite rare. But yeah. So if you're if you're the justice minister, you wouldn't be bringing back the death penalty anytime soon. I, I don't think so. And I think it's too. Um, it's one of those issues that's too controversial. So if you were to bring it back, it would just cause too many problems. It would cause too much um, opposition, I think. Yeah, I too agree. Too controversial. So, so you'd be thinking very much from a political uh, sort of reasoning, not a moralistic one. As to why. Well, and morally, I don't necessarily think it's... I don't think it's the worst moral crime, but I don't think it's the 
I don't think it's help a helpful tool in deterring crime. No, I, I agree because the sort of people that uh, do do uh, justify the death penalty under law, they've committed such heinous crimes that, that they're, they're not rational. These aren't rational thinking people anyway. Mm. You know what I mean? So so it doesn't really, uh, yeah, so it's not going to deter them. Normal normal deterrence of, of law isn't going to work on them. And uh, in America, the crime... The crime rate in places with the death penalty, I don't think is much lower or better than anywhere that doesn't have the death penalty. So I don't think it don't think it really works. Most to be honest, prison isn't a good deterrent these days because people commit crime anyway. Yeah, for sure. I think you need you need like to target people like when to target um, people when they're like young and growing up and tar- will target certain areas that have issues rather than like, just throwing people in prison. Yeah, well, for you know, for short sentences, if you're giving these people a four-month four sentence for some type of non-violent offence, they, they lose their job, Everyone in society, you know, mm. rumours, you know, he's been into prison, he's gone to prison. Their whole life gets completely turned upside down. And even for shorter sentences sometimes. So these like one or two months and they come out, you know, with no money. They get, I think they get given £50 or however much they get given when they leave. And you, your life is just completely ruined. And yeah, so, so what is the point of these real short sentences? Would they not have just been better with a community order where they could have like mm-hmm. sort of productively added a little bit back to to the uh, economy. I guess I found it here. Guess how many states in the US still use the uh, capital punishment? I don't think many. Alone, four? 27. Oh, that's still less. Well, yeah. So So many. That's still not that many. Well, okay. It's it's more more than than I thought. Yeah. I bet it's all the southern ones. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of southern states. Okay, so how many people were ex- executed? Yeah. So how many people do you think were executed in the United States in 2022? A few thousand? Or is it, like, really low? I think yeah. maybe up to... 18. Huh? Is that it? Yeah, I think they they use it quite sparingly. 18 in 2022, 11 in 2021. Uh, they use lethal injection. So it says here on deathpenaltyinfo.org that 1,567 men and women have been executed in the United States since the 1970s. Although the, over the last two decades, it's been uh, de- decreased considerably. Mm. Yeah, maybe they're starting to move away from it. Pretty tiny numbers, really. I think it's really rare that they actually choose to do it. Yeah. I don't know when, how, like, what, what determines them using it. So have you ever watched Soft White Underbelly on YouTube? I don't think so. Well, it's this guy. He goes around America and just interviews 
people that are really from what are perceived to be, you know, the darkest corners of society, uh, pimps, prostitutes, mm. heroin addicts, you know, drug dealers. And this is always a black and white interview. It's always filmed in black and white. And he just interviews them. And it's really intimate, sort of dark interviews usually, but, but also fascinating. And I watched one recently where he interviewed a Texas uh, prison officer and his job was the literally the executioner in this Texas prison for like 25 years or something. And that was fascinating. I mean, it was quite funny because when you when he the guy spoke, the prison, the prison executioner spoke, it was almost like he didn't really think about it. He was like, these people are done wrong, so you know they get what they deserve. There was there was not a lot of sort of introspect and reflection and of what his actual role is which i think is probably a good thing because if he did have that driving mm. place, if that was your job but yeah that's... yeah maybe he was desensitized or great or probably agreed with it strongly yeah a lot of people do a lot yeah, of people think... agree with it yeah also i think the younger generation are less because we've seen less of that we're less likely to think it's normal whereas older generations are more used to seeing these things or knowing about them well, it was more common commonplace in their time so for them it's less it's less of a shock yeah well the world the world was like darker and tougher and stuff back then you know like mm. it was just a, a worse place to be um yeah okay so I, I googled what crimes used to be punishable by death in the united kingdom murder understandable espionage arson mm. the royal dockyards blimey so if you set fire to the you know where, where the royals were sort of getting all of their their goods in in the dockyards you could be killed for that wow that is pretty shocking, actually. I always thought stuff like, you know, stealing a loaf of bread or something, but I don't I don't know. I couldn't find it there. Mm. Nice, cheerful topics we're talking about today. Well, it's, it's an ongoing debate, but I feel like I don't think we'll ever go back to the death penalty in this country. No. But I don't think we will. I don't think so either. It's it's really not in the the sphere of. It won't win votes. That's for sure. No, it won't win votes. What else did you want to talk about? This TikTok thing or politics? And the TikTok thing. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, so basically, today, um, the TikTok chief, um, was being questioned by Congress because they feel uh, they're worried about data concerns. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so they're basically, they're worried that um, the FBI and the Federal um, Communications Commissions have warned that ByteDance, which is basically the company that the Chinese parent company of TikTok, um, they were worried that they, could share user data such as browsing history, location, and bio 
metric identifiers with China's government. And in 2017, China implemented a law which basically gave the government any personal data relevant to the country's national security. But there's no evidence that TikTok has turned over such data. But um, there's fears around the fact that TikTok has so much data, similar to like other social media as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So basically, they're they're worried about the data and its implications for security. I mean, it's understandable because you know the the, the sphere of influence uh, that their government has over there is is really difficult to comprehend. If you know you're not from there, or you know you live in a Western society, even though people may not think we're that free here, um, you know we really are quite free uh, compared to them. Like my my friend, I think I've spoken about her before, but you know she was at the University of Bristol. And she, she was genuinely shocked how well, one time we were down the pub and I was sort of slating a little bit, you know, criticising, uh, you know, I think it was, I can't remember who was in power at the time now. It might have been Boris Johnson, but I was just speaking negatively about him openly. And she was saying, you know, if you're in China, you'd never, you could never do that in a pub or a public place, speak badly about the leader because you just don't know who's listening. Mm. So there's this just enormous sense of paranoia over there. But it's it's kind of well reasoned because they, they can like that law you said they can just lean on companies and say look we need your data for national security reasons and they just can't question it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Basically, some people said that this this um thing against TikTok isn't really that different. It's not really that different to what facebook and instagram are doing like with people's data and it's and they kind of thought that it's similar to when mark zuckerberg had to was basically questioned because they do all kind of gather the same data i think the problem they're just really scared of like the links to china that's the main thing that's that's worrying them yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, also, it, it, I think in the Chinese version of TikTok is apparently smart. Like, apparently the algorithms that encourage smarter behavior than the Western version that just encourages challenging <laughs> and silly trends. Yeah, the, the Western That's version. That's what I heard. That like, it, yeah, it's actually very different. The version they give young people there is very different. Well, you know they have the uh, the time limits over there for young people. Mm. Chinese version of TikTok, I think. Has it been in, has it been implemented over here now? As I'm well? not sure. Wait, I think it has. Where young people can only play use it for two hours a day or something. First mm. of March, TikTok users aged under eighteen will have to enter a passcode to use the app for longer than sixty minutes. Right, mm. so it's kind of like a, a parent feature where they can yeah. get the. Uh, the, the passcode but so, so they are trying to restrict the use which i think is a good thing mm. really. yeah i think it's probably yeah it's a good thing because people get too like absorbed in their phones yeah but so if... at the end of the day like with 
adults or older people that have downloaded TikTok. They're consenting. Like no one actually reads the terms and conditions, but this it probably says in the terms and conditions that they can use their data. But no one actually reads it. Oh, for sure. Like Apple's terms and conditions. I think I'm trying to think when I ever read terms and conditions apart from for like a job contract. Um, mm. Yeah, no, no one really does, do they? It's like a couple of pages long, but it's basically, I guess we can't complain if, if if we sign our data off, you know, we sign it, we sign our rights off for them to use it this way. Yeah. Mm. But this thing in the article, it says that um, TikTok was first targeted formally by the Trump administration in 2020 with an executive order prohibiting US companies from doing business with ByteDance, which was is the parent company. But Biden revoked that order in June 2021. He revoked it? That's interesting. Yes. But, but it says he revoked it under the stipulation that the US Committee on Foreign Investment conduct a review of the company. When the review stalled, Biden demanded that TikTok must sell its Chinese-owned shares or face a ban in the US. Uh, okay. They actually are thinking of banning it, but I don't know if this will... Well, I, I know in the US it's uh, banned by... Uh, government employees aren't allowed to use it. Mm. Security fears. Yeah, so, I mean, if they've started, so, yeah, maybe it's going to ruin 100 million 14-year-old girls' lives in America. <laughs> you get the total ban. Someone else will come up with something else, though. Bound to. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, on that note, we shall draw the podcast to a close, I think. Yep. Goodbye. Yeah, cheers, mate. See you later. Bye. The Many Things Podcast.